0: Okay, so we'd like to welcome you back to part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for May 29th, 2011. And next article is segueing from the last article. This U.S. Air Force makes the way for witchcraft. Academy Chapel adds worship circle for pagans, wiccans, and druids. It's from World Daily Net. It says on a hill overlooking the Cadet Chapel and Visitor Center of the U.S. Air Force Academy, Tech Sergeant Robert... Long Crier, is burning white sage, consecrating a circle of stones that he will soon be used by cadets as a place to worship Mother Earth and the Horn God. What, like Satan? Pretty much, yeah. According to an official release from Colorado Springs, Colorado, University and Air Base Wing, the chapel is adding this new worship area for followers of the Earth-centered religions, including paganism, druidism, and the form of witchcraft known as Wicca. The official declaration ceremony is tentatively scheduled for May 10th. Long Crier, who became a pagan shortly after arriving at the Academy in 2006, celebrates that the new worship circle represents an increasing level of acceptance of pagan religion. Yes, there is. When I first arrived here, Earth Center cadets didn't have any place, anywhere to call home, he said. Now they meet every Monday night. They get to go on retreats and they have a stone circle. We have a... Representation of the Cadet Interfaith Council. I even meet with chaplains at Peterson Air Force Base once a year to discuss the religious climate. Can you imagine being a chaplain in the armed services? I mean... I can't even imagine trying to... uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what that would be like, you know. But... I think that for the vast majority of the supposed chaplains, they're probably so lukewarm uh, that it defies description. You know? I mean, the fact that they would have no problems with this. You know? But, hey, that's between them and God. I just, I don't understand it. It's, it's pretty pathetic. The stone and earth circle is only the latest addition to a collection of worship spaces on the academy campus, including Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, Muslim, and Buddhist sacred spaces. Longcrier tests that the academy chaplains have supported his efforts in every step of making a space for pagans to worship. There really haven't been any obstacles for the new circle, he said. The chaplain's office have been a 100% supportive. That means these chaplains that are supposedly Christian out of that group have been 100% supportive. All I can say is God's judgment must be nigh, very near. Um, it's just unbelievable. Again, but further, f- further confirming this infiltration of overt witchcraft into our society—not just religion with a with a with a let's say even a Christian veneer or a religion that has some type of righteous veneer. No, 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 no. Now we're we're, we're getting to where those masks are coming off and it's, and it's going to be more overt. It's just going to be, yeah, we're worshiping the horn god, man. We're worshiping Mother Gaia, horn god, Satan, whatever. Next article, which relates. Discovery of the 13th crystal skull. Now, I've done a teaching on this, on the crystal skulls, and I will try to post a link here so you can click on that. If you don't know what this is, click on the link. Listen to it after you know you hear this, and, and it'll make a lot more sense. German newspaper website's website called Build B I L D reported on May sixth, and I give you a link to the article. Reported on May sixth of March two thousand eleven of the discovery of the thirteenth crystal skull. The headline reads. It's in German, and I can't read it. Anyway, it roughly translates to The Crystal Skull of S.S. Fuhrer Himmler, discovered. Heinrich Himmler. One of Hitler's right-hand men. Below, it seems it is a direct translation of the article. As reported by the magazine Mysteries, the Swiss journalist Luck um, found the skull in in Bergen, in an attic of his Bavarian informants. Hidden in an old wooden box, a custom-built one, which in turn was in an old shabby leather knapsack. Twelve such crystal skulls are known, and this would be the long-sought-after 13th. Notice it's the 13th, which is the number of rebellion. They supposedly come from the remains of civilizations of the Central and South America, where the Mayan and Aztec priests carried out religious rituals with them. According to the legend, if all 13 are brought together on December 21st, 2012 when the Mayan calendar ends, it will prevent the apocalypse and usher in the pagan new age. Right. Anyway, that's what they believe. Now, I'm not saying there's not power in these wicked things. I wish I had all of them in my possession right now. I would I would introduce them to Mr. Sledgehammer and Mr. Burn Barrel after the Sledgehammer was through. I would make sure there wasn't one shred of those things left. So they could... You know, yeah, try to bring these 13 crystal skulls together. You know, they're all shattered in a billion pieces and burnt. That would be my solution. But anyway, that's just me. I'm funny that way. So, going further, also in the possession of Bavaria was a previously unknown four-page highly explosive Nazi list. It listed 35 valuable art treasures. Now, I've seen whole documentaries on all of the things the Nazis pillaged. And many times they did resell them in order to use, to fund their war efforts. But a lot of them were kept by people like Hitler, Heinrich Himmler, uh, a lot of the higher uh, Nazi people, in order to add to their own personal collections. In the time of the Nazi war, they amassed one of the greatest art collections. I mean, you name it, wine, art, I mean, gold, gold. The things they did with the Jews, where they would pull out their their gold teeth, and I mean, all of the things that they recycled. I mean, the hair and the in the gold teeth and the you know the, the glasses and the clothes and oh, it was just sickening. How they made soap out of the fat of a lot of the uh, concentration camp. Uh, you name it, they pretty much did it. If it was wicked and vile and evil, they pretty much did it. It, this new this list they also discovered, this four-page uh, Nazi list, listed 35 valuable art treasures that were to be transported on the orders of Nazi leaders Adolf Hitler and Heinrich Himmler shortly before the end of the war, including, which was point 14, the crystal skull that was found. According to the list, the skull once belonged to researcher Otto Rand, who was sent by the Nazis in search of the Holy Grail, which is supposedly the cup that Jesus had at the Last Supper. Okay, um, This was in 1939. I believe he disc- he died mysteriously searching for this Holy Grail, and the crystal skull then came into the possession of good old Heinrich Himmler, one of the most wicked men of all time. So, yeah, you can click on that. Um, It's pretty... uh, I don't know what's going to result in that, but it's right on cue with the New Agers. I mean, the New Agers have been chomping at the bit regarding finding this 13th crystal skull. Okay? And now they've supposedly got it. So, uh, who knows what kind of propaganda and garbage is going to come out of that. Okay, so I had forgotten to put this link in there. I just put it in there, and when I convert this to a, uh, a PDF, which will be up on ContendingForTruth.com, you'll see um, a purple link, and it's my teaching on, entitled 2012, The Mind Calendar, The Pole Shift, Wormwood, Planet X, Nabooru, and Crystal Skulls. Some really lighthearted topics there that we can discuss. Let's go further. This was a email I received from a listener, and I entitled this, Warning Regarding Magic the Gathering, this card game. It's a cult card game. Uh, And I got permission to post this, as you'll see. Dr. Johnson, I was listening to your teaching on video games, and it reminded me of how my husband and his friends are with Magic the Card Game. Now, I really didn't know a lot about this. I mean, I'm obviously, just the name itself, you know it's bad. But she says, the game is so outright demonic, it's insane. But my husband is so blind to it, he thinks nothing is wrong. I do honestly question his salvation seeing as he spends all of his time playing these abominations and never opens his Bible. Well, exactly. If there's no conviction, if you're doing something like this and there's absolutely no conviction and if there's no chastisement on their life, if they have no conviction and no chastisement, they're not saved. The Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, then you're bastards. So if you can go through life and live like the devil, and have no conviction about living like the devil, and thinking you're doing okay, and then there's no chastening of God on your life, you're not saved. You know, by their fruits, you will know them. It's as simple as that. So, you know, he needs to get saved. And delivered of all these devils and demons that are possessing him. She goes on to say, um, I recently had a baby, and right around the time she was born, my husband started playing this game again. Great timing there, you know, I've got to admit. And it's as though this child means nothing. Yeah, not a real good sign there either. Seriously, every word that comes out of his mouth is about this Magic the Card game, or Magic the Gathering game. He doesn't want to think or talk about anything else. What an absolute, total, abhorrent waste of a life. He spends all of his time either playing, building decks, or reading about this stupid game from the pit of hell. He leaves for 8 to 12 hours at a time to play. Now remember we had done this teaching, and I'll, I'll post a link to the teaching I did on the video games as well. On the role-playing video games. And I mean, how this stuff is so totally addictive. But it's demonically addictive. The thing is, is you don't see the demons coming into you when you're when you're dealing with this. When you bring a card game like this into your house, you're openly allowing doors for Satan to come in and start to oppress you, possess you, and take control of you. You're giving him permission. Uh, going further, he leaves for eight to twelve hours at a time to play. He doesn't even work that many hours in a day. And he doesn't see a problem with it at all. Satan, the prince of this world, has blinded his eyes that he cannot see. It's as simple as that. I tried to stand up and say something. He went nuts. He was so demonically possessed, all I could do was back off. He would not hear any scripture. It was like trying to tell someone with an addiction they have a problem. He is so altered and aggressive now, I wouldn't even know he is my husband. He also spends all of our money on this game without thinking about it. It doesn't even matter. We had no money for food. He still went, and spent a hundred dollars on the stupid game. Thinking, how do you spend money in a card game? I mean, are they playing for money? Are they? Is there like accessories you buy? I mean, I don't know. I mean, how do you spend money? I mean, once you got the deck, isn't that all you need? You'd think. I don't know. Oh yeah, he's got. He got bought his uh, wizard hat. Maybe I don't know. Accessorize. Anyway, he tried to get me to play with him and I learned the game to see what it was all about. It is so blatantly evil. It's all about witchcraft and performing different spells each turn to destroy the other person's creature. It's almost... It's. I mean, again, remember what I said before? The coming essence of the one world religion? Witchcraft! This is just yet one more indoctrination tool of Satan. It's a demon... Cursed object you're bringing in your house when you bring this through your front door. And, I mean, you're you're putting spells through witchcraft on each other's creatures? Sounds Christian to me. I mean, where do I sign up? You know? Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance. It's all there. Come on. Why can't we all just lighten up? You know, why can't I lighten up? (sighs) Anyway, I I have to throw a little levity in here because this is just, to me, this is maddening to read this. (laughs) I feel so sorry for this poor uh, Christian sister here. Um, So, she says, It made me so sick I quit after one turn. I've noticed with my husband's friends, they are just as entrenched and obsessed as he is. How pathetic. Be a man! You know, quit. we're supposed to put away childish things when we become a Christian. I'm not saying I don't act goofy once in a while or whatever. Or then I'm perfect, walk around in sinless perfection. But you don't spend hours on end doing garbage like this. How is this advancing the cause of Christ? How is this bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Which I just listed. I mean... It's you're serving the god of self, which is what we all battle every day. The essence of almost all sin boils down to four letters: self, s-e-l-f. It's what we battle. What what is it about this game? What is it that he's feeding his self? It's my life. I'll live it the way I want to live it. But the Bible says that once you're a, uh, uh, you know. Christ, your new creature, all things have passed away. Behold, all things come become new. And that your life is not your own anymore. And we're to be crucified with Christ, according to Galatians 2.20. We're to crucify the flesh. And again, it doesn't mean I think, you know, that means I'm saying, okay, everybody has to walk around on cloud nine in sinless perfection. We should strive for perfection. Okay, but This is just crazy. We don't use our liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Now this man's not saved. You couldn't convince me he's saved. There's no way. Now, if he had started this, and all of a sudden his world imploded, and he had all kind of conviction that he knew what he was doing, that'd be one thing, but I see none of that. Uh, Going further. Let's see here. So you you use witchcraft and perform spells to kill the other person's creature. Again, sounds productive. It made me six. I quit after a turn. All my husband's friends are just as entrenched as he is and obsessed as he is. And this game is a doorway to many other games they play all day long. So there's other games evidently involved as well. <sighs> Grow up. I don't know how to get my husband back. He hates me because I hate the game, and we fight all the time, all because of this obsession with this abomination from hell. Would be glad for some prayers. Thanks for the teaching as well. May God bless your ministry. Just, I, I removed her identity. Just call her Sam, if you want. If you want to um, pray for, her. and I would definitely advise doing that. I'm not saying God can't change her husband's heart and deliver him. In fact, that's his only hope. When I wrote back to her, I said, I said wow, this is terrible. Your husband needs a stiff dose of the fear of God put in him. Mm-hmm. He sounds just about possessed at this point. I would pray and fast that whatever it takes for God to wake him up, whatever it would take for God to wake him up, that God would do that. See below for some great resources. Um, I gave her four links on... Uh, one of them was a specific link re- regarding Beware of Magic the Gathering card game, the dangers of role-playing games, how Pokemon and, and the Magic the Gathering card game are... And then another one on Pokemon, and then another one on Magic the Gathering game, how it's evil. So I gave her some resources there, links, and I posted that in the PDF...
1: And then, he, and then I
0: said, if you want me to forward your email to a prayer group, just let me know, which I did. And then also let me know if, if I keep your identity totally anonymous, if it would be all right to read your email below on an upcoming teaching. And she agreed. So that's why I read it. And um, her reply was, you totally hit the nail on the head about the fear of God. He claims to not really believe in the fear of the Lord. Because John 4.18 says, there's no fear in love. We're supposed to fear them that can cast us body and soul into hell. Not only the one that can kill the body, but also cast your soul into hell. That's what Jesus Christ said. He said, fear not those that can only kill the body, but the one that can cast, kill the body and cast your soul into hell. That's who we're supposed to fear. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, which he really needs, understanding and knowledge. So, then he go, she goes on to say, I try to tell him the danger of picking one scripture and making a doctrine out of it. But his parents have brainwashed him his entire life with the love gospel. Ah, more fruit of the lukewarm 501c3 corporate churches of America. What do you do with a person who has no eyes to see or ears to hear? He won't see God out, find any truth. I really understand the strong delusion when I look at these people and they honestly believe that there is nothing wrong. How can you be so blind except that God has delivered you over to Satan? That may be the case. There may be no hope for him. I don't know. I don't know if he's crossed that line. That That's between him and God. I do believe there's a line that someone will cross, and that's it. The Holy Spirit is not going to be there anymore to bear witness with their spirit. I think there's a lot of scripture for that. If you look in Jeremiah 7, 11, and 14, and you look in their God's, they they're. Uh, it's listed, all these abominations they're doing, including child sacrifice, including making cakes to the Queen of Heaven, which is the modern day version of Mary, okay? but back then she was Ishtar, or Semiramis, or whoever the, the flavor of the week was. All these abominations they do, and yet they call themselves holy, and they think that they're essentially in need of nothing. Kind of like the Laodicean Church of Revelation 3, where it says that they're lukewarm, but God sees them as Weak, naked, wretched in his sight. But they think they're in need of nothing. So if you look at Jeremiah 11, 7 and 14, God actually says in those portions of scripture, do not pray for this people. I will not hear your prayer. And if you look at those portions of scripture, who were they? They were the ones that not only had they done those things, but it was repetitive over and over and over. God had pled with them over and over and over to change. And it got to a point where God said, I'm done. It's over. You're unredeemable. I'm going to give you over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, as it talks about in Romans 1. Your conscience is going to be seared with a hot iron. And we're done. It's over. Now, I'm, I'm not that judge. That's God's business. It's not mine. So that's why I would say you'd always want to pray for somebody like this. Okay, But there does come a point. And again, like you see these um, old time, before the modern day advent of, particularly in America, of drugs. When people actually were dying without all kind of mind-numbing, altering drugs in their system. Or painkillers. At the time of death, and they would see the angel of death coming up the stairs to get them, and hear the chains. Literally see them. You couldn't see them, but people in the room and they were seeing them, and, and you could see the person that was getting ready to die. The devils and the demons coming to take them away to hell, and you'd hear their screams. But see, we don't we don't have that anymore with the modern day advent of drugs. A lot of times, I'm not saying it doesn't ever happen, but the testimonies I've seen, most of them are pretty old because you know. They didn't have all the modern-day conveniences. So, um, you know, I'd say, yeah, definitely pray for this man. Um, But unfortunately, this is the broad way which leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go thereat. I mean, the way he's on. You know, narrow is the way which leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find it. And I think that's what the Bible says, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, they that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. That doesn't mean you're going around and you're earning your way to heaven. It's the Holy Spirit through you. By the power of the Holy Spirit through you, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. So, you know, this is really serious. It doesn't get a whole lot more serious than this. So, she goes on to say, Thank you for your resources. Your ministry has been a great blessing and encouragement in my life. Of course, you can use my email for your teaching. Perhaps I'll play that one when my husband is conveniently at home. Wow. I'm sure my teaching would go over well. But if he's listening to it, if he hasn't, um, oh, hope, no. I pray for her because if she would be in the house when this guy would hear this, I am, um, the demons need to be bound up, you know. So he doesn't go totally off the deep end, psychotic, three-state killing spree stuff. You know, because demons ain't going to want to hear this. They don't want to hear truth, and they don't want you to hear the truth. And she said, I'd very much appreciate if you'd forward this to your prayer group, living under the rule of Satan in my home, just as not my cup of tea. So all the help, the better. God bless. So, yeah, God bless her. And unfortunately, you know, that's, this is going on. All the time, this type of garbage. Uh, the video games, these role-playing games, you name it, there's all kind of ways Satan is deceiving people. Okay, so this is going to be, then, this part here, uh, we're going to segue into, this is part is Oriental Hindu and Buddhist restaurants warning. Um, I've done a lot of teachings in the years, I've done one on the wisdom of the Levitical Dietary Guidelines, which also got into making sure you're not eating any blood, um, the wisdom of that, and um, other things I've talked about along these lines, and this is something that I've gotten convicted about recently, and then I got some confirmation from a listener named Lori, And she emailed me and she said, I was wondering if you've done a sermon on idolatry being a form of fornication and adultery against the Lord. I was doing some research on the difference between fornication and adultery. I was trying to fully understand the context of what Jesus said in Matthew 19.9 when asked about divorce. I also came across a website that explained fornication, which is derived from the Greek word porneia, which is where we get the word pornography from, uh, as not only sexually immoral acts, but also as idolatry. Uh, many Christians could be committing fornication and not even knowing it. Uh, another thing I've been come to realize is that idolatry is especially prominent in Chinese restaurants or places of business. A lot of Chinese businesses where I live have idols of Buddha or fortune cats or dragons, and they are always have food set out in front of them. They even rotate the fruit being offered to their gods in a bowl beside them. I have stopped eating at Chinese buffets because of this. The Bible tells us not to eat at the table of devils and of the Lord. My reply was, yes, I see See below for the full definition of the word porneia, which is where you get the word root word for fornication from in the King James Bible in the Greek. Uh, and then I said, I was intrigued by what you said when you said a lot of Chinese businesses where I live have idols of Buddha or fortune cats or dragons and they always have food set out in front of them and they rotate the fruit being offered to their gods in a bowl beside them. Uh, I tried to do some more research on this subject and did not come up with much. If you find anything more about this, specifically about modern day forms of food, sacrifice to idols, let me know. I did do a study on the wisdom of the Levitical Dietary Guidelines and how we are not supposed to eat foods with blood in them, food with blood in them, and also the other things it said. I give you a link here. You can click on That's why these PDFs are so important, because a lot of times I'll link back to older teachings I've done, so you don't have to try to find it. I try to make it like one stop shopping on the PDFs. Also, recently I did a teaching on the Islamic halal ritually slaughtered meats. And this same subject came up. Now, I give you a link to the PDF. Now, this is where they're, they're putting out meat in stores that is ritually slaughtered to Allah. It's called halal meat. And what they have to do is essentially, like if they were going to sacrifice a cow or whatever, or ritually slaughter a cow, they have to recite, it's like Allah Akbar or something, I don't know. Something like that. As they're slitting the cow's throat, or slitting the neck of the chicken, it's ritually slaughtered meat to Allah. It's meat that has been essentially... offered at time of slaughter to Allah. I don't want to be eating that meat. Now, you could see on packages of meat if it has that halal sticker. There's You you, you could go up to the internet, and I think on the uh, on the PDF I give you here, it gives you some examples of what that sticker looks like. And they're trying to sneak it in. They've already done it in Europe, and they're trying to bring it over here to America. The other day I got, it was like this Cabot cheese, and it said halal on the back of it. And I went and I researched it, and obviously you can't ritually slaughter milk, which is what they make the cheese with. But it's done under these halal, which a lot of times are very, in in this particular case, is similar when it comes to non-animal type of things. It's similar to kosher. And I have a problem with kosher. Okay, because that's essentially Levitical, which I said, I had a whole teaching on the Levitical Dietary Guidelines. Now, the thing about it is, you can go to a grocery store, and some of the things that are labeled kosher are total garbage. Total garbage. The ingredient lists. So, just because it says kosher doesn't mean it's good. Halal, and I'm still doing research on this, if it's something like cheese or whatever, it'll say, it'll like this particular one with cabbage cheese, which they make some... Decent cheese, it's not organic, but it's, if you go up on their website, they definitely do a whole lot more than the average cheese company does regarding their products, okay? It's also kosher and halal. It seems to be that the halal things that are not ritually slaughtered are basically in some Muslim imam coming and inspecting the facilities and giving the blessings to say, okay, if you produce cheese this way, then we'll endorse it. Okay, so I I don't think at this point, eating halal, things like cheese and those types of things, I may be wrong, but I don't think it's anything near like eating a ritually sacrificed halal meat that's actually been sacrificed to Allah. That's just food sacrificed to idols, as far as I'm concerned. Now, I may be wrong on, on the dairy. I don't know. I couldn't find anything. But then again, there's only so many hours in the day to research this stuff. So, you know, if you know something I don't know, let me know. My email address is on the right side of contendingfortruth.com. Anyway... We're going to get back to that in a second. Uh, I, I gave her the, the definition for pornea in the Bible, fornication, pornea. Uh, it's derived from the word pornea, which outline of biblical usage. Number one, illicit sexual intercourse, which would include adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals, oh, bestiality. B, sexual intercourse with close relatives. Or C, sexual intercourse with a divorced Man or woman, meaning unbiblically type of situation, unbiblically divorced. Okay, and then the second definition they have is um, the worship of idols, the defilement of idolatry. As incurred by eating sacrifices offered to idols. Okay, Obviously, though, there's a difference between literally fornicating with another human being, or an animal, Lord have mercy, and eating the sacrifices offered to idols. Obviously, they're not exactly the same in action. I think in God's eyes, both of, in God's eyes, he doesn't, you, know, approve of them at all. Fornication, it talks about literal fornication where you're actually sexually joining. And I've done a whole teaching on biblical sexual prohibitions. you can find out in, the, in my contendingfortruth.com. Uh, search bar, which is going to work a lot better now, because we have all those broken links fixed. Uh, Which is very, very important, because there's a lot of people doing a lot of things in the bedroom, thinking that it's okay, and it's not in God's eyes. Oral sex is considered sodomy by God. It's not just the sodomites, the homosexuals. Unnatural copulation is, is, is is known to be a form of sodomy. And that's what oral sex is. So, when you call somebody a sodomite, you could say, well, it only means a homosexual. Yeah, but from a biblical def- from a biblical definition, you know, it's just not an area I think you want to mess around with. And my my teaching gets into that in depth on that. Um anyway. This eating sacrifice is offered to idols. Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about it. In the New Testament, particularly. Okay, 1 Corinthians 8.10 says, For if any man see thee which has knowledge, meaning a mature Christian, brother, sit at meat, meaning that word meat, sitting, sitting to essentially eat food. For if any man see thee which has knowledge, sit at meat in, in, in the idol's temple, Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? This doesn't sound like it's an endorsement here to eat things offered to idols in the New Testament. In other words, if, if, if a brother who's like a baby Christian sees a mature Christian in an idol where they're literally sacrificing food To idols, If he sees you in that idolatrous temple eating, isn't that going to embolden him to eat those things which are often idols? Sure. And it's not a good thing, obviously. 1 Corinthians 10.28 But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols. In other words, if anybody comes to you and says... See, back then it was more overt. There was more just outward paganism where they were literally... Saying, hey, I got this food, but yeah, it was offered to an idol, which they did a lot more out in the open. So if any man saying to you, this is offered in a sacrifice unto idols, the Bible says, eat not for the sake that showed it. So don't eat it for the sake of the person that showed it to you, and for conscience sake. Saying, don't eat it. Revelation 2.14, but I have a few things against thee, this is um, in Jesus Christ essentially rebuking, mostly rebuking different churches, Okay, but I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Remember how I said last week we're not supposed to be a stumbling block before a brother? This is a way you could be a stumbling block before another brother or sister. Okay. Them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. And what was that? To eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Now notice the parallel between the definition that I read and this. The same things are mentioned. Balak cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel by saying we should eat things sacrificed to idols and we should commit fornication. Kind of in the same category. So to a certain extent, it does appear God kind of views them in the same category. Now, I think, then again, I don't know what kind of demonic component is taking place when you eat food sacrificed to idols. Kind of be, I don't know if it's like bringing magic to the gathering card game into your house and you know, you're bringing a big fat demon in your door. If you're eating these things and it's sacrificed to idols, I don't know how that's affecting you spiritually, but it's not like an envelope I want to push. You know what I mean? It's not like something I really want to find out. I think it's just better to err on the side of safety here. Now, obviously, God views it very negatively, because he's saying, this is something I hold against you. You treat, you're you're, uh, holding this doctrine of Balaam, meaning you're Practicing it, you're giving it reverence or whatever, and you're basically Balak taught the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols, which God obviously does not approve of, and to commit fornication. Revelation two twenty. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. Oh, like a woman preacher? Yeah. She, Essentially, what she was now i 've done a whole teaching on um, the biblical i forget I forget the exact title the biblical um, from a biblical standpoint what women can do for the Lord essentially it 's not chauvinistic I just go through bible verses that 's all i 'm doing um, there 's a lot of Jezebels in the church today <laughs> lot of Jezebels. That Monica Denningham. Oh, my word. Ugh. I mean, teaching about Mother God and stuff. And, and There's a lot of that going on in the church today. The Bible says, flat out, in the New Testament, in more than one place, that the qualifications for either a bishop, elder, deacon, which is essentially, you know, uh, bishop, elder, deacon, elder, spiritual overseer, Whatever category, which would fall into the class, classification of pastors, is that man has to be the husband of one wife. Never says that woman can be the husband of one or the wife of one man. It always says the husband of one wife. Always, it's, it's a foregone conclusion. It's not even a, a point of debate in the Bible. But nowadays, oh no, we've we've got we've got women's lib, and we've got to be politically correct. It's not my rule book, it's God. So you can get mad at me, but it, the Bible's very clear. Now, if you have a really super watered-down New Age Bible version, yeah, it probably says anything goes. You probably have ch- transgendered clergy. You know, anything goes now. Homosexuals in the pulpit, in like the Lutheran church, Presbyterian or whatever, Anglican, allowing all kind of abominations to go on. Well, those, those denominations have been so thoroughly leavened. it's no wonder that that's going to happen. You're just going to see more lukewarmness and more lukewarmness. But here it says, Thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach... So notice that word. She's teaching something. And to seduce my servants to commit fornication, which gave you that definition... Now, I think there they're in total reference to the physical fornication okay, with the definition I gave and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. She was teaching those two things. And then the next verse after that, it says, you know, if she continues to this, she's going to, those and those who follow her, he's going to destroy them. So, not something you really want to do, okay? And so, again, and this is why the Bible says we're destroyed for lack of knowledge, according to Hosea four six. Now, what she did then is she sent me a whole bunch of these pictures of, like, this whole, this cat that they have a lot of times at these restaurants, these these Oriental restaurants, whether it be Japanese, Chinese, Thai, listen, those cultures are steeped in pagan paganism. Okay, flat out. And this is one of the cats that they'll have in in the uh, these restaurants. It's called all. This is a website. All the luck in the world for you, like Lucky Lucifer. You know, that word luck, the luck of the Irish to you. You know. Doesn't get much better if you can pull up to the table, get your whole milk out, and pour yourself over a nice big bowl of Lucky Charms. Doesn't get any better than that the little Lucky Shillelagh guy on the on the uh, little demonic leprechaun guy with the. I mean, the word by Lucky Charms. The charmers in the Bible were those that engaged in witchcraft. Such they were. They were. They were lumped into that group, okay, and then lucky, which, you know, which is where you can you can get Lucifer out of that word real easy. I've talked about that in times past. But anyway, this is this is this little cat demon devil sculpture idol thing is called Maniki Niko, the beckoning cat. And they show all these pictures, and I put the pictures in here so you could see what they look like. Because it might ring some bells for you. They've got you can buy the jewelry, you can buy the little figurines. Many Japanese business people wouldn't think of having a restaurant, store or bar without the presence of a beckoning cat, also known as Maniki Niko, also sometimes called the prosperity cat. Maniki Niko always has at least one raised forepaw, but otherwise they can take many forms. A white cat wearing a bib and a bell, in typical sites in Chinese restaurants in the country. The cat is waving to us, asking us to come into the shop or asking for good fortune. Like a fortune cookie? To visit the establishment. Maniki Niko dates back several centuries. Uh, a fortune cookie is just like kinda like uh, reading your horoscope, just so you know. I wouldn't eat those things. And after I read this, I was and I looked at this in depth. I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm pretty much done with oriental restaurants, because it's it's like one of those things, airing on the side of safety. Yeah, I guess if you had had oriental food of some people that were truly got saved and realized what they were steeped in was pagan idolatry, and got rid of that, that'd be great, but how rare is that? I'm not saying it hasn't happened, but I'm just saying, very rare. Okay, so, the cat is waving to us, asking us to come in, uh, Nico dates back several centuries. The exact origins and the source of its power are explained in many tales. The most prevalent tale involves a poor temple in the woods. A traveler takes shelter under a nearby tree during a storm. A cat appears and beckons the traveler to follow it to avoid the storm in the temple. As soon as the traveler follows the cat, the tree and the spot where he had been in are struck by lightning. Because the cat has saved him, and brought him to the temple. Notice God's getting no glory. The cat is. The traveler then and his family become patron saints of the temple and bring it fame and wealth. Wow. I mean, where do I sign up? I don't know about you guys, but I'm hook, line, and sinker for this already. Come on. So, then it goes on to say, other sources hint that the raised paw might be a coded phallic symbol. Because the cats are first found around the time when a common but more graphic phallic good luck symbol were banned from inns and gambling houses by the Western-influenced Japanese governments. Ooh, those terrible governments. They banned this more graphic phallic symbol. Now, I don't know how in the world you're going to get a phallic symbol out of a cat with a raised forepaw, but I don't really want to know. You know? But yeah, this is where it evolved from. I mean, this is some sick stuff. So, there are many variations of the Maniki-Niko, and you will see the left paw or the right paw raised. Generally speaking, it is believed that the left paw beckons for people or customers, while the right paw attracts money or good fortune. Well, hey, if you're going to buy and buy one with a right and a left, and have it on either side of your door. So that way, you got the best of both worlds, the best of both demons, you know. Obviously, I'm just kidding, but, you know. Anyway, let's go further. You may want a beckoning cat for your office or store to attract customers in your place of business or house to attract good fortune. Placed near the front door of a store, it is said to attract new patrons. How could it be doing that? Because there's devils and demons attached to that little pagan, idolatrous statue, little cat statue, that you can't see, that are going to demonically charge the area and influence people to come in. That's how. That's how it works. This is why I'm like, can you hopefully understand what I'm saying about oriental restaurants at this point? I mean, how often do you ever go into like an oriental restaurant? I mean, that's part of the ambiance, isn't it? Going into a Chinese or Japanese, oh, look at the dragons, look at the, look at that, big lion. Look at that cat. Look at all those really horrific statues. Look at all that X glass of like the phoenix and all these terrible things. It's demonic. It's it's pure paganism that date, dates back you know, probably thousands of years. Um, and then she posts a link uh, sign called the Laughing Buddha. It's a restaurant and it's got a Buddha and he's you know... Picture of one. It says the statue of Buddha in the upper left corner is a representation of the same exact statue that is in a restaurant I used to eat at all the time before getting um, to know the Bible in, in the word. The restaurant boasts. Now this is her talking. The restaurant boasts a big brazen statue of him directly across from all the food that they have sitting out in the buffet, which is almost be like they have this food across from the Buddha statue, almost dedicated to Buddha, which is a very common thing they do. And it was something that she mentioned. They're actually literally offering food that they'll rotate to these statues. Not good. Not good. Um, They also have images of dragons on the glass that separates the seating areas and phoenixes as well. Over the sushi bar, they have an idol of a golden pig. So... Red flags, big time. And then, here's another picture. This is the Chinese Feng Shui Buddha figurine. I ordered me a gross tonight, and I couldn't resist. No, just kidding. Bring blessings and happiness, good health and abundance into your life with the Feng Shui Buddha figurines and bells. Are you curious about Feng Shui? Would you like to give it a try, but don't know where to start? It's easy and inexpensive. Basically, Feng Shui is the art of changing energy. It uses color and objects to create a change in energy. In Feng Shui, Buddha figurines are used to bring harm, harmony, peace, energy, happiness, and prosperity to your home. We can't guarantee your results, but it has worked for the Chinese for centuries. Why don't you give it a try? Rub your Buddha's big belly daily for good fortune. I'm not making this up. That's what they add red. <laughs> so yeah, you can buy this overweight, gluttonous, golden Buddha thing. Have it in your house, and rub his belly every day for good fortune. Again, where do I sign up? Uh, Feng Shui, which I believe is that whole art of arranging furniture and things in your house to supposedly attract, get out negative energies and attract positive energies. Again, it's demonic. You know, I'm not saying you you should have a house full of clutter, you know. I like neatness as much as anybody, but I'm not going to buy into the whole Feng Shui thing. You see how subtle the devil is? Well, the Bible says, you know, in Genesis 3, he's the most subtle beast of the field. The serpent was the most subtle beast of the field. He's very good at what he does, so it's just something a little like that you can open doors with. In China, the food that is served is very symbolic. The variety of food served in different regions of China is also explored. Now, this is another series of links that if you want to check this subject out further, you can. And there's some... Links here I provide you. I'm not going to go into the links, but I'll just read you the titles. Background information on Chinese food. The first one was the Monkey King and the Symbolism of Food in the Story. The second is the Yin and Yang of Chinese Cooking. Third, the Five Elements Theory of Chinese Cooking. Fourth, the Eight Regional Variations. And fifth, the Symbolism in Chinese Food. See, there's a lot of spiritual stuff attached with their cuisine, in other words. Here's a picture I give you of the one of the Chinese guardian lions, which a lot of times you'll see either in front of like Chinese restaurants or maybe smaller representations inside. Uh, they're also known as the Imperial Garden Lion. Now, I give you a picture on the PDF, which obviously I can't relate over, but it's a lion and he's got his one of his paws on a on a representation of a globe or the world. They're also known as the imperial garden lions or stone lions. In Chinese art, they are a common representation of the lion in pre-modern China. They're believed to have powerful mythic protective powers that have traditionally stood in front of Chinese imperial palaces, imperial tombs, governmental offices, temples, and the homes of governmental officials and the wealthy from the Han dynasty. Pairs of guardian lions are still common decorative symbolic elements at the entrances to restaurants, hotels, supermarkets, and other structures with one sitting on each side of the entrance. These are demonically charged, cursed objects. And again, you don't want to go in and patronize a place like that and give them money, which further, it's like, you know, it's like giving money to paganism almost. I mean, hopefully you can see that. It's just not something you you want to really do. Um, in China and other places around the world where Chinese people have immigrated and settled, you know, they're common around those areas. The lions are always created in pairs with the male holding the world in his hand and the female holding a cub. So that's how you can tell. Now, this is just another little thing, a little bit, it's not unrelated, but it is related. And it shows these little kids on this Nick Jr., I guess Nickelodeon Junior show. It's called Niha Kaiyan. I don't know. It says you can see the Nickelodeon thing and they're and they're holding you ever see those those parades they have where they hold up the dragon on a stick and there's like four or five oriental guys and they and they take it around the streets and they and they 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 wave it around like a dragon and it moves as like, you know, one unit. Well, they've got one of those above their heads. Two of them don't look human. No, three of them don't look human. I don't know. Maybe they're dressed up in costumes. I don't know. But it's a little kids' show, and it says American children are now being taught to accept the foreign worship of false gods in a series that airs on Nick Jr. called Niha Kylon. It's a catchy name. You got to admit, uh, it appears to be innocent on the surface. To be surface to the blinded minds of this world. But both you and I know it's very sinister and satanic, this kind of thing, how very sinister and satanic this kind of thing really is. Absolutely true. Um, now, here was, a, here was a question posed on one of the boards about Buddhist food. Okay, So this isn't just Chinese restaurants or just Japanese. This would be Buddhist, Hindu cuisine, Thai cuisine, you name it. Korean You're going to pretty much run into this across the board. Okay? And this is one of the reasons why when Jesus took the people... Not Jesus. Well, it was in a way. When the nation of Israel went into the promised land to finally possess it, they were told to go in there. In many cities, they were told to go in there and slay man, woman, beast. Everything had been so defiled that In some of the cities, they couldn't even take the spoils. Jericho, for instance. Achan takes out a Babylonian garment and and some wedges of silver. He brings sin into the camp. These are cursed objects. He buried them under his tent. They went out to the battle of Ai, and they lost, I don't know, 20, 30 people. They go back, they inquire of God. They're like, why did this happen? God basically tells them, Achan brought sin into the camp, this is why you lost the battle. You had cursed objects in your possession, and it affected everybody in the camp. So it really is a big deal. God basically told the nation of Israel when they went into the promised land not to intermingle. Most of these races he told to kill, because they were so defiled and unredeemable, and a lot of them were just Nephilim. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And the Bible says there were giants in the earth in those days, in Genesis 6. And then it says, also after that, when the sons of God, meaning these angels that had fallen, saw the daughters of men that they were fair, they took them wives, all that they chose, and in those days were giants. And then it says, also after that. So these giants that were in the land, in the promised land, that Satan had prepositioned in the promised land, to intimidate the nation of Israel and it did intimidate the first generation and they all died in the wilderness well the second generation comes around finally and they go in and possess it but he told them, he said, don't intermingle with these people don't do it why? because of stuff like this they bring their culture into your but see as a Christian now you get saved and everything's so intermingled remember America, the great American melting pot you know All of these pagan, idolatrous things are just so part in such a part of our fabric, of our society, we don't even know. That is one of the purposes of this ministry, to try to educate you. And do I know everything? No way! No way! There's, There's too much. I learn stuff every day. New stuff. But see, this is why it's important to pray for humility. Because if you ever start to think, well, I'm Mr. Big Fancy Pants, I know everything. You know, guy like Harold Camping, or whoever, and their respective little cultish thing, and they think they're hearing from God, and, they're, and God's telling them something he's telling nobody else on the planet, and they start to think, well, I'm really special. I really got everything figured out. Well, you know what? You're already demonically deluded. You're already blinded. You're unteachable, and, you're, and you, a lot of times unreachable. Unless God chastens you and gets a hold of you. You need to pray for humility, and it, one of the ways you can give humility with almost out even praying for it is pray for fear of God, because the fear of God will keep you humble, to a certain extent. I mean, it will. I think you should pray for both. But if you're humble in God's eyes, I mean, the Bible says, to this man will I look, to of him that is of a humble and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. It says that in Isaiah, I think 66. That's who God's going to look to. Let them that are greatest among you, let them be your servant. He that is last will be first in heaven. So don't seek to be first. Don't seek to have the highest seat in the synagogue in these types of things. We want to humble ourselves. Because I'm telling you, there's so many ways you can be deceived nowadays. It it defies logic. And all these little deceptions that we're participating in affect us spiritually. I'm not saying they unsave you. But they affect you spiritually, and you may not even know it's happening. Again, my children are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But then there's also a warning there. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, so if you're exposed to the truth, and you openly reject it, okay, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, and thou shall be a priest to me no more, and I will also reject thy children. That's what the Bible says. Now, there's going to be a lot of people God rejects. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says, for this cause, meaning in the end times that we're living in now, essentially at the time of the arrival of the Antichrist and the great apostasy of the church, the falling away of the church, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, for this cause, I will send them strong delusion, meaning the world in general, that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned who received not the love of the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, obviously, the main truth we need to focus in on is the Word of God. In the English-speaking language, the King James Bible. Okay? But there's other ways you could be destroyed for lack of knowledge. If somebody gives you a poison glass of orange juice and you drink it and you die, haven't you just been, and you didn't know it was poisoned, didn't you just get destroyed for lack of knowledge? Sure, you did. I'm not saying God couldn't protect you from that, but I'm just saying. Just, I'm just giving that as an example. So this whole thing about these Chinese and Oriental restaurants, I'm just throwing it out there, and you you pray about it, you fast about it, but I'm going to have nothing more to do with them. And I really didn't have a big-time conviction about this up until recently. It was like, you know, you get blinded to these things. So I'm not sitting here trying to hold anybody else to a higher accountability than I would hold myself. Um, And I'm telling you, this has never even come up on anybody I've ever I never even had an email about it, so I hadn't really thought about it that much. So I apologize for not delving into this sooner, but there's only to- so many topics I can cover. But I thought this one was an important one. Uh, when, I, when I saw this, I'm like, yeah, I, really, I don't want to wait on this one. I really think it needs to be covered um, quickly. Going further... Question, why do people offer things such as food, wine, tea, incense, money, and even cigarettes to the statues of Buddha? What's the representation behind these items? Answer from a pagan, or a Buddhist, it's a form of ritual worship. Okay, That's why they do it. It's a form of worship. These term these items represent desirable human objects and are offered to Buddha or in religions, other religions, other deities, as a show of respect and appeasement. These sorts of practices are part of Buddhism. in they arose in the course of the Buddhist history. however, they are not taught as Buddhist practices. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Cigarettes. I had never heard of that one before. However, I know some Shen Dao God of the Chinese custom, and Du A and Lil A Peak has mediums who insisted on offering of cigarettes. Maybe you had mistaken these gods for Buddha. Which segues us into our last part, the whole thing about tobacco. Now, there's some gods. Before I get into that, there's some guys. I saw this documentary one night on Hinduism. And one of the main main temples at this place, part of India, was the god of dung and feces. It was one of the main temples, one of the nicest, but you couldn't even go in this thing without a gas mask. Why? Because they were literally offering feces to this god. They're obsessed with feces over in India. That is why many people that go over there say the stench is so unbearable, because of the unsanitary practices of the people and the fact that they actually offer feces, and they were—they were, they were literally—they had a goat out in front of this temple, and they were hacking off its head on camera. I couldn't watch it. I don't like watching stuff like that. I mean, I love animals, and I—I I, I cannot stand. I mean, they were hacking this thing off. It looked like with a dull machete, and they were taking the blood and putting it in the bait, and they were taking the feces and the blood into the temple. And the reporters out there, out—I mean, way outside. Look like 50 yards from the thing, and she couldn't get any closer with a gas mask on. And they were showing how they took the, the, the feces of the cows who they revere as gods, or, or people that have passed on, or whatever, dear Aunt Margaret, you know, and they let the cows roam wherever they want, they roam in their house, wherever they want to go, and they take the feces, and they use it to to make their, prepare their food, they burn it, and they use it as a fuel for their food, and they'll take it, and they'll liquefy it, And it showed this big courtyard and they had spread liquefied cow dung over the whole big huge courtyard at this Hindu house. And it was like, you know, real shiny and brown looking and it was like, oh, I mean, how, you talk about unclean. Well, that's what they did. And see, that's just kind of an example of the depths of Satan. If you let him... If you let him take you where he wants to go. Hinduism has some of the most darkest, most evil practices you could imagine. You know, and um, that was just one example. So I'm going to go ahead and end part uh, two here, and we're going to go to part three, which is going to be a teaching dedicated to smoking, which I've had a ton of requests for over the years. Uh, it's not totally going to be totally exhaustive. Okay, it's going to be about eight pages of PDFs. But I think by the end of it, I don't think there's any more you're going to have to hear regarding this subject. Uh, and it's a subject you definitely, if, if you're a smoker or you know somebody that is, particularly if they're born-again Christian, you know, they need to hear this. You know, because I love them enough to tell them the truth. The Bible says, I I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth, according to Galatians 4.16? So... I'm going to end part two here. Go to part three next. God bless you.